episode 354, how to launch ideas that don't suck. Jake Hare. The Awaken Your Alpha podcast. Live limitless. I'm Adam Lewis Walker, host of Awaken Your Alpha, the number one men's development podcast for inspirational stories and strategies to thrive as a man. As a coach, keynote speaker, and best-selling author, it has been my mission going on four years on the podcast to bring you the best, the very best, the struggles, the action, and to share the real journey with you. Please subscribe to support the show through ayalpha.com forward slash book. This episode is sponsored by TEDxCelerator. If you do want to do a TEDx talk, and that is something on your list for 2019 or even 2020, if your answer is yes to any of that, your best lesson to my free TEDx Essentials training that you can easily find in the show notes this episode. Jump into that and please, you know, if you have any questions or someone you know wants to do a TEDx, please don't hesitate. AdamWalkerUK at me.com is my personal email. That'll jump straight to me. Get to the podcast. So we have a really interesting one this week. I mean, if you're, you've got any ideas or you've had a startup idea or you know, anything you want to start something new and maybe you don't feel like you're good enough or you're an imposter. Well, this one is going to cover it all. We have Jake Hare on the line. He is uh, Launchpeer's founder and CEO. Um, this company's been going since 2014. He has designers, developers, and growth hackers work with over 300 startups to take their idea to market at light speed. So there's lots we can cover, you know, in terms of the mindset around this, the, the actual reality of what he's done and helped a lot of companies do. So Firstly, though, we're just going to get into it. So, Jake, are you ready to awaken your alpha today? I'm ready. Let's do this. And we talked about it before the interview. There's a lot of ways this interview could go. So, I mean, do you want to just add or highlight your introduction? What are you all about at the moment? Yeah, so let me give a, a little brief rundown of my background, and that kind of leads into Launch Pier 2. So, you know, I grew up in Southern California uh, from a very, very low-income family. We were, we were really, really poor. I was actually homeless for a while when I was in high school. And, you know, I didn't have a lot of uh, male role models to look up to. Um, You know, I looked up to my dad, but really I had to find role models outside of my immediate family to look up to. And really what I started doing was looking at what everyone else's definition of success is. So, you know, I watched a lot of TV. My three things that I wanted to be when I was a kid were either a doctor, uh, a lawyer, or a pro athlete because those those are what the media defines as successful people, right? You make a lot of money, people love you, all of those things. I used to watch ER and like private practice and all this, these shows that you probably are kind of weird to watch when you're like an 11 year old kid. <laughs> um, so, yeah. uh, I remember uh, looking up to those people. And so I, I graduated high school, went to college, worked all through college to go to law school. Um, and I got accepted to law school, but I couldn't really afford to go to law school. It's very expensive. And I was working full time through college and you can't do that when you're in law school. Yeah. Um, so I decided to join the military and this was back in, I think it was 2009. I joined the military. I, okay. was, in the, I was in the army for about four years. Um, and I started learning a lot about computers and IT and systems. And I was an intelligence analyst in the army um, serving with the 101st, which it, they're the eagle patches that everyone sees on like Transformers movies and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, my cool. kids always love it when they see that patch in different places. But um, <laughs> once I was about to get out of the army, I realized, well, I can be 
just as successful going and getting a job doing this as I could if I went to law school, I, but I wouldn't have to go to three years of law school and get a lot of debt to do it. Yeah. And so that's what I did. Um, I got a job in tech. I worked in tech for about uh, three years, uh, got my footing there, uh, was a product manager and really started seeing a lot of the problems that entrepreneurs have. I've always been an entrepreneur. I just didn't know it. I think a lot of people listening to this are probably the same way where you're kind of hustling for cash. Or you have an idea. Uh, I personally would sell drawings of like comic book characters and things to kids at school for lunch money. And so I've always been an entrepreneur, but once I started working in my career field, I saw that there was a lot of entrepreneurs who wanted to build really great tech startups. They just didn't know where to start. Um, they would try to go talk to a company like the one I was working at, but yeah. we wouldn't really take meetings with entrepreneurs unless we knew they had raised like 500,000 or a million dollars. Yeah. It wasn't worth it for us. We didn't want to work on small projects. We wanted to work on big projects. Um, and then my friends who were entrepreneurs, if they wanted to build something, would go try to find a freelancer or try to find a developer or something. And that would either take a lot of time or they would get it wrong the first time around and their freelancer would disappear or they, they would hire someone for a certain technology that's really outdated, but they didn't know it because they're not technical. Yeah. Um, what I decided to do was I decided to start Launchpeer uh, about three or four years ago. And since then, our entire mission has been around helping entrepreneurs build, launch and scale tech startups. Yeah. Um, so right now we're about 20 people located here in Charleston, South Carolina. Um, and we've worked with hundreds of entrepreneurs around the world doing just that. So, Jake, I wanted to talk, t touch on obviously when you, you've come out of the military, you're in this, this company you're seeing obviously the gap, at least where your company doesn't help people. And so obviously there's a demand and a need there, but that's, you know, people, a lot of people see opportunities, but can you tell us almost like your awakening moment where you basically pulled the plug on a steady income and made that jump to entrepreneurship yourself? And how was that? Did you wrestle with that? Was there much fear involved or did, was that quite a smooth transition or was, was did you have uh, quite a struggle with that? Oh, there was a, a lot of fear involved. Um, and I think it, if there's not any fear involved and then you're probably doing something wrong, like you should be a little bit of a, a little bit afraid to jump in and go into mm -hmm. entrepreneurship, but it shouldn't stop you. I think the thing that defines and listening to your podcast, I mean, a lot of people, you know, you talk about this. Sometimes a lot of people talk about this, like part of being a man is like not succumbing to that fear mm -hmm. and going out and doing something. So um, I was married. I am married uh, with two kids at the time when I started the company. Those kids were, you know, not in school yet. I think one of them was in kindergarten. The other one was at home. And, uh, you know, jumping into entrepreneurship, leaving a job where I was basically making six figures and I was 26 years old. That's more money than anyone in my family had ever made. It would probably take them four years to make what I made in a year. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it was a big move. But yeah. I think at the time there was a, you know, obviously some fear involved, but there was also a little bit of being naive, <laughs> like yeah. not really knowing yeah. 100% okay. what I was getting into. It's, it's good to have that combination sometimes because a lot of times I'm a big believer in, you know, setting, setting your compass and focusing on the, uh, the outcome you want. And uh, the details obviously are going to kick in, but a lot of times not knowing all the details, that little bit of naivety is good in some ways because uh, the reality can be quite, quite savage and quite tough when you know all the details. No, it was definitely savage. That's for sure. <laughs> so, uh, when, you know, the thing that really helped me jump in was I really, really believed that this was a problem. And not only that, but I had people that weren't me or my friends or my family telling me that this was a problem. I had friends coming to me and asking me if I could work on their startup with them or if I knew developers who they could hire to build their product. 
and they were just really frustrated. And I remember about three months before I ended up quitting, we had, I had someone actually hire me to do what I ended up starting launch peer to do. So it made the transition a little bit easier looking back on it, that like $500 I made from that, one, you know, that one project, yeah. uh, I kickstarted all of launch peer, uh, but it gave me the confidence to get over that fear and really believe in what I was going to do. But that first two years of launch peer was tough. I mean, we missed mortgage payments. Like we mm. missed, had our electricity shut off like two or three times. Um, I was really depressed and started drinking and, mm. uh, you know, I, I was staying at home and my wife actually, she was my co-founder, but had to go back to work because the business wasn't bringing in the revenue. Yeah. It, needed to bring in. it was a very difficult time for the business. It was a difficult time for our family. And it was a difficult time for me personally, just like as a man, like trying to take care of your family and knowing that you're trying as, you know, you're spinning your wheels, working 80 hours a week, trying to do it. And you're just not doing what needs to be done. Yeah. You said you got a team of 20 now. When did you start to scale up or did it always start with a few people or was it just you and your wife? Yeah. So it was me, my wife and a couple of other people um, who were mostly like, they always split between contractors and freelancers and it yeah. kind of went back and forth. Um, and we had a couple of employees mixed in, but the first two years of launch peer was really just that small, small team. And it was a lot of just learning. Like I, I don't have a background in sales. I don't have a background in marketing. I, I didn't know really know what it meant to build a brand or build a company. And I kind of lost sight of what our mission was. If you go back and use this tool called Wayback Machine, I do this for fun sometimes. <laughs> um, you'll go see uh, all the different iterations of our website during the first two years of launch fear. <laughs> every time we'd get a new customer who wasn't that ideal demographic of like a new startup founder trying to build their idea, uh, like a healthcare company would come to us. Then we are, we would change our website and say, Hey, we do development for healthcare companies too. Or, <laughs> yeah. uh, a real estate company came and said, Hey, can you build our website? We'd be like, yeah, we build websites for real estate agents too. And it's like all this stuff that we were doing completely wrong because I was looking at not what my customers wanted or needed the customers I wanted. Um, but I was looking at what other agencies were doing, what other businesses were doing and yeah. what I thought would make me successful, but it just wasn't working. And so, after that two years, uh, something big happened. This is when we had our electricity shut off for the third time. Uh, at that, up until that point, I was trying to kind of hide how everything was going for my wife. Like, mm. I had already felt bad enough about myself. I didn't need her worrying about everything. Um, I just didn't want her to have to worry as much. She knew what was going on. Yeah, you know, men as well try to like take that burden and, and not talk about things and that's a very uh, slippery slope. Yeah, definitely. I remember that day when we came home, it was a weekend. We had our electricity shut off. And, you know, when you're waiting for the power company to come back and turn your power on when it's 100 degrees outside in Tennessee, which means your house is probably 110 degrees, um, you can't hide that from your kids, from your wife. Like, you have to have, like, you have to really sit down and start thinking to yourself, like, what, why am I doing this? Yeah. Like, who, who am I serving? Like, am I... Am I building this business for the right reasons? Am I staying in this business for the right reasons? And so I made a decision that day. Um, I decided that I was going to do two things. One, I was going to go look for jobs. <laughs> so um, yeah. I decided, okay, like just because I'm struggling doesn't mean my family should struggle too. Even if it's something I really want, um, you know, they, they've given me two years to try to build this business and I should do the right thing for them. So at the same time I started applying for jobs, I threw everything out about LaunchPeer, everything, the brand, the, the mission, 
or the lack of mission, the lack of clarity that we had, how we were doing marketing, everything. And I started from one singular focus, which was, which I should have started with when I started the company, which is if I'm an entrepreneur and I have an idea for a tech startup, what kind of business would I want to work with? And so we decided to put our pricing on our website, which is not something entrepreneur, you know, which is not something agencies are supposed to do. Yeah. I decided to put our services on our website, like specific services, packages, not, Hey, come to us and just ask us yeah. whatever you want and we'll custom fit something for you. Most of the time entrepreneurs don't really know what they need. So we decided to put packages and services right there on our website. And this was about, I think it was towards the middle to end of 2016. And from that point to the end of 2016, we went from me and my wife and a couple other people to 12 people, um, all full time. We went from working out of our house to getting an office uh, in Charleston, South Carolina. Awesome. Uh, and you know, we, I mean, what, what comes through from listening from the outside, listening, it's just comes like that, that taking control and, and that clarity of, and you know, and that is your business. You can decide like you, like you're saying as the expert, just prescribing people, like this is what we offer. This is how we do it. You can pick They've still got options, but you know, it's not, you know, just doing everything on their list that in some cases might not even be what they need. I love that. That's what it comes across is just kind of like you sort of sticking your flag in the sand and then that, that, that confidence and clarity obviously has attracted clients. Yeah. And that first two years of launch period, I was just kind of letting things happen to mm. me. Yeah. Uh, I was letting customers come to me and I was letting, um, you know, I thought if I just worked more that something would happen up until that point, my whole life, including the army, the more you worked and the harder you worked, the more you got out of it. But that's yeah. not how entrepreneurship is with entrepreneurship. You, that, but you know, is great, but you have to mix it in with knowing exactly what you're doing, taking control of what it is that you're doing and going and finding the right path that is going to lead you to wherever you want to be. Yeah. And that's what I ended up doing. And I should have done it sooner, but everyone well, has this to. Is, this is what I wanted to touch on. It's something we spoke about before the interview and it, it seems like this might've been involved here. I mean, what are your thoughts around battling imposter syndrome specifically for entrepreneurs? Cause it sounds like kind of like you were, like you say, you were going through the motions, you were doing things, you were, you, but it, you weren't kind of almost, you weren't believing it. Right. Yeah. And just imposter syndrome in case I'm sure most people have heard the term, but it, imposter syndrome basically means that you feel like you're not the right person for this. Like mm. you see other people and they're successful and you're not. And so you feel like an imposter, like I shouldn't be here. Like I'm not the right person to do this. And I think entrepreneurs, even though we don't talk about it a lot, I, I haven't met a really good founder who hasn't dealt with this at some point because yeah. what happens is, especially early on is you're going to go to networking events and you're going to talk to other startup founders and you're going to listen to podcasts like this and you're going to read business books. and You're going to see that, these people who came from nothing built these great successful companies and it looks like they did it incredibly fast. But mm. the thing you're seeing is the tip of the iceberg, like yeah. everything under the water, like all the things that they struggled with, all the challenges they had, you never hear about those things once they've already made it. And so for us as entrepreneurs, we start putting that on ourselves and saying, man, I'm working so many hours and trying so hard. Maybe I'm just a failure. You know, maybe no one else is struggling and I'm the only one struggling. And because of that, like maybe I'm just not the right person to do this. And, and you're completely wrong. Entrepreneurs, we just, we don't talk about those bad times. Some entrepreneurs do, but very few of them do. Most of us, you either say nothing when things aren't going well, or yeah. you talk to everyone all the time when things are going well. 
And what that does, <laughs> yeah. yeah, what that does to early entrepreneurs is it really hurts your confidence. It makes you depressed. And, and that's one of the things that really hurt me during the first two years was I really, really was battling with depression and imposter mm -hmm. syndrome, which was, you know, compounded by the fact that I was working 80 hours a week and trying to support my family, but nothing was working. Yeah. So one thing uh, I've, I've sort of seen and heard that you talk about as well. Now it makes so much more sense here in your story of Launchpeer. I want to talk a bit about something you said, which is your startup idea sucks until you validate it. Yeah. What exactly do you mean by that? And as I say, I understand it a lot more now from your perspective, obviously, what you did with Launchpeer. Yeah. So um, I made the mistake early on of not talking to my customer or my potential customer. I mean, I got that one sale, but I didn't do anything about it. The, yeah. reason, for that, the reason for that headline is I want to jar entrepreneurs out of this idea that you should just go build something. Like that is the wrong mentality. When you come up with a startup idea, ideas are a dime a dozen. Yeah. Nobody cares about your startup idea. Every, people are coming up with startup ideas at their desk every single day for weird, random things. Mm -hmm. And some, some of them become wildly successful and a lot of them, a majority of them don't. But the thing that differentiates a successful idea and an unsuccessful one or one that sucks and one that doesn't suck is by going out and actually doing something with it. And there's a lot of different ways to validate your idea, but until you take the steps to actually talk to your customer or make a dollar from something that could be coming out soon or get people to sign, sign up for a pre-launch email list or something, yeah. you shouldn't build anything. You shouldn't spend any time building a website or picking a domain name or uh, creating a logo or building an app or any of yeah. that stuff. I completely agree because it, it and it's it's very seductive to get when you have a what you think is a great idea without validating it to get sucked into just creation mode and it's exciting and then you before you know it you spent months and months and then basically it's not what people want i've been there i've done it and now i'm completely in the other camp i will not like create anything until literally it's not just been validated but most of the time that someone's actually you know committed financially to do that at least one person then you know at least there's something there right and, and the last thing we want is an entrepreneur to waste their talents on something that's not going to work mm. and so for for the entrepreneurs who are listening to this if you have an idea go try to make a dollar with it mm. go talk to someone and and tell them like when this is ready will you use this and there's a lot of different ways to validate your idea but most entrepreneurs because in 2018 because of how fast technology moves, it's so much easier to just go and build something today than it was five years ago or 10 yeah. years ago. And there's this culture out there of like, well, just go build something and then figure out if people want it. Like, well, you're gonna waste a lot of entrepreneurial energy and time on a lot of ideas that probably won't make it. If you just build your startup on a solid foundation of having it validated first, then you can take all of the risks that are associated with building a startup after that fact, knowing that your startup is on very, very, very solid foot. Yeah. I mean, just the, the last interview I did was with a founder and he was talking about they didn't see what their customers were telling them for a long time because they were so in love with their initial idea. But kind of what has ended up being their massive success was almost like a, an offshoot of their what they thought was their core product and service. And as soon as they kind of let go of their ego and, and listen to the customers and went with what was 
not kind of going against or battling against the stream, just going with the flow. And this is what everyone was asking for. They've absolutely smashed it. And that's why I was talking to them because obviously it's, got, it's gone very well since they focused all their energy into what, what they should have done, as they say, from the start. <laughs> right. This is my Yoda question. I mean, who helped awaken your alpha? It sounds very situational, but was there anyone either from afar or even close that either said the right thing at the right time? They might not even be aware that they, this had this impact to you. Is there anyone that, you know, springs to mind. Yeah. Um, actually my wife, uh, to mm. be honest with you, um, when that happened, when we had our electricity shut off for the third time, um, you know, as a husband, like the first thing you and your wife are going to do is sit down and talk about it. Mm. And, you know, we talked about for about, you know, like two or three hours, like about how, where the business was, how everything was going and what we were doing. And she asked me a very simple question. And I didn't have an answer that day. Like I, I didn't know. And the question that she asked me was, why are you doing this? Mm. You know, and, you know, as an entrepreneur, like you should have an answer to that question. Like you should have a, an answer to like, why are you doing this? Like, what are your goals? Like what, if you could see yourself successful in this, like, is it making a hundred thousand a month in revenue? Like, okay. Is it getting on the cover of Forbes? All right. That's fine. Like whatever your idea of success is, like you should have that. But, once you get into the momentum of just working to work, mm. that doesn't work because what's going to happen is one day you're going to lose the momentum. Yeah. Every entrepreneur goes through this. One day you're going to lose the momentum. You're going to not want to wait, get out of bed in the morning. You're not going to want to deal with employee issues. And it, we were talking about this before we hopped on, like whatever stage of the business you're in, uh, you're always going to have challenges. Anyone who's going into business or entrepreneurship thinking, well, if I just get to $10,000 a month in revenue, everything will be easier. You're, you're lying to yourself. Mm. Like that's not true. You will always have struggles as a business owner. Those struggles just compound on themselves as you grow because you're dealing with more money <laughs> and with more money, there's more problems. So, um, but when she more asked money, me, more problems. <laughs> uh, but when she asked me that I had no answer, I had to really sit down and think like, what am I doing this for? And for me, this isn't going to be the same answer for everyone. But for me, I want to make as many startups as possible successful. And for whatever their definition of success is, if that means getting the $10,000 a month in revenue so they can quit their jobs and their wife doesn't have to work anymore, then that's what we're going to help them do. If it's to get on the cover of Inc. Magazine or, you know, get, you know, raise a million dollars in funding or whatever their goal is, that's what my mission was. And the problem was at that time, I wasn't living that mission. I was just living for the revenue. Well, we're going to move into the alpha round now. So amongst all of this, what is one of the most impactful books you've ever read or one that you just think is really useful and that you could have a, an almost a entrepreneur specific around startups? Yeah. So, um, the best business book that I personally read is probably one that a lot of people haven't read. It's not like a New York times bestseller or anything like that. Um, is it's called unscalable. Uh, and it's by a guy named Charlie Guo. Um, and it's on Amazon. So you can buy it. I think it's like yeah. seven something, but basically what he did was he went and talked to 20, uh, really popular startups in Silicon Valley. And he went and really dived into what they did to get their first customer. And all of the tactics that they talk about in the book are ridiculously unscalable things. Like <laughs> there's this one startup that they, we're building a social media marketing application. Um, and I'm not going to give away who it is because yeah. I want you to 
Facebook, but um, they're, they're, they're building a social media application. What they did was they got their first customer by walking to every coffee shop on the, you know, in the street that they lived in Silicon Valley and got one of them to agree to sign up. And in exchange, they wanted to get free coffee for six months um, and use the desk that they had in the coffee shop as their workspace. Oh my yeah. God. The guy would get the app for free once it was finished. Wow. I am getting inspired now because I like the sound of that. I, <laughs> I love my coffee. That would, wow. That's, I like the sound. It's not scalable, yeah, I mean, but yeah, that, that's quite appealing to me. <laughs> yeah. It sounds awesome, man. I, I, I love my coffee. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a, there's, it's filled with stories like that. And for entrepreneurs, I want them to know that when you, build your startup, you're going to have to do things that aren't scalable. Mm. You're not just going to be able to automate everything. And you're not going to be able to just go out and build something that automatically can go work for, you know, 10 million users or something like that. What is a quote that is kind of your approach to life or just one of your favorite quotes of all time that inspires you? So mine, mine is really, really simple and it's be grateful. Um, whenever I'm going through the day, and you know there's things i don't want to do or i'm having a tough time or you know maybe sales were down for the month or you know a customer's not happy or whatever anything that entrepreneurs end up having to deal with right there's any number of things that you could struggle with the thing i always sit down and i close my eyes and say to myself like just be grateful like, because the fact that you're able to even like take a risk and build a business is something that a lot of people can't do so a lot of people are just struggling to feed their families. A lot of people are just struggling to like eat. I mean, I was homeless when I was a kid, like thinking about building a business, my dad, that was never even crossed his mind. Like he was just trying to work more hours so he can pay to put food on the table. Yeah. And so when you're going through hard times, just, I want anyone listening to this, just sit down, close your eyes and just say to yourself, like, be grateful. Cause there are things to be grateful for. No matter how hard the things in your life are, somebody else is probably struggling with something a lot worse than you. And there's always something to be grateful for. In terms of a resource, I always ask if someone's got almost like a resource that's either not widely known or used, or it's just a, an all-time favorite that you use in your everyday running of your life or your business. So I'm going to open this up to your, your businesses or businesses you help with. Is there a, some kind of resource? Yeah. So one of the resources that we use, and it's actually a tool that's, I think it's, it's free to start off with, but obviously like most tools you have to yeah. pay for it. And, um, and this is mostly for entrepreneurs. So if you're not building a, if you're not building something, it probably won't work for you. But one of the things that we've found really valuable for us is, is getting into the heads of our customers and our prospects. And so one of the tools that we use to do that is called full story. Um, it's full F U L L story.com. Basically what it does is it literally records the people visiting your website. Um, wow. Like you, you visit, you, when somebody lands on your website, you can actually see like a recording of where their mouse is, you know, what they're wow. clicking, what they're looking at, like you know, how often they clicked and it records, I think on the free plan, it records up to 300 sessions a month. So that's 300 people that visited your website and you can actually see what it is they're reading, what they're not reading, what links they're clicking on. In wow, that's useful. I'm so yeah. glad I see. I'm glad I, I, thought, I thought you'd produce the goods on that question, but wow, that is useful, especially like you say, the obviously people who don't have, you know, hundreds of thousands of website views. If it's only 300 a month, that could be all of your website views. So that could be, you know, 100% of your customers or potential customers. That is really useful. Yeah, especially early on. Like you want to do everything you can to get in the heads of your customers. If it means 
that when they jump to your website, the, they're only clicking on the about page. Well, that means you better have a really good about. Yeah. You know? <laughs> a lot of stuff that you can learn from those things. From your network, and I'm sure obviously work with lots of startup founders and just interesting, exciting, adventurous people. Who do you recommend would be a great interview for Awaken Your Alpha? So one founder that I've been kind of like tracking his progress on over the last few years, uh, his name is Dave Rogan Moser. I don't, you might not have heard of him, um, no. but if you go to Launchpeer's website, one of the things you're going to see on the bottom left is this little like chat, like this little widget that says, hey, 140 people visited the site today, or yeah. uh, hey, this person just registered for the webinar, or hey, this person just joined the accelerator and stuff like that. Well, that's a tool called Use Proof. It's useproof.com. I guess yeah. that's another resource that people use. <laughs> um, yeah. But Dave has grown his business like ridiculously fast in a very, very short amount of time. And he's done like everything right. I mean, but he is very open about the fact that he struggled a lot in the beginning. Um, and I'd love to introduce Brilliant. you to I mean, just kind of wrapping things up as well. I mean, we can go to this as little or as much as you want, but I mean, I just want to talk about, because again, something I'm really interested currently and have been for a while is, is fear and how different people use it or, or it, it uses them basically and takes over the, their uh, options. So what do you think was, and what I suppose, what, if you can remember, what were you sort of fearful about and your attitude to fear back then when you were homeless and very much very struggling and that's obviously you grew up in that to your approach to fear now so when i was a kid uh, my parents got divorced i think when i was they were actually never married but they broke up when i was mm. like five or six years old it was oh. barely, i barely remember what happened but yeah after that i remember that we bounced back and forth between custody of my between my mom and my dad for basically the rest of my childhood because mm. my dad was an alcoholic um, and had a very, very bad alcoholism problem. He passed away when I was 16 because of that. Um, my mom was a drug addict. Um, and so really what would happen is once a year we'd go into court, the court would decide which one wasn't as, you know, al alcoholic or uh, yeah. Let, drugs let's, the other yeah. one. And that's the parent that we would live with for the next year. So, um, you know, it was a, a really, tough time and really taught me very early on that I have to look out for myself. Mm. Uh, and, you know, uh, some people don't learn this until later on in life, but really you're in control of your own destiny. And very early on when I was a kid, I decided that I am not going to be like them. Like, and I, you know, I am, I mean, there's two ways you can go as a kid. You either have really good role models around you, which means you look up to them so much. You want to be like those people or you have the opposite and you have people that maybe you don't want to look up to, which, you know, and the way that you use those things is completely and hundred percent up to you. Um, whether you want to use those as an excuse, you know, if you have bad role models in your life, you can use them as an excuse and say, you know, well, I'm not successful because of those people. You can say that. And a lot of people do say stuff like that, mm. or you can use those, those things and say, I am going to learn from their mistakes and I'm not going to be like, that's one of the ways that I've turned that fear into something positive. Cause there was a lot of times I was afraid when I was homeless. Like, you know, we would, the way that we were homeless was my, my dad would pick us up from school. We would drive around for, you know, maybe an hour, two hours until he knew everyone was gone from the warehouse that he worked at. He was a truck driver. Yeah. And once he did that, he had the key. So we would pull in, we'd wash ourselves up in the bathroom of the warehouse 
and we'd sleep in the car and then we'd wake up a couple hours before work started so he can leave and nobody would know he was sleeping in the warehouse. And I was afraid that kids were going to make fun of me because my yeah. clothes or my kids would make fun of me because they knew I was poor and I was wearing like these shoes that were probably two years old. Um, I remember my track coach when I was 15 had to buy me new track shoes because my track shoes had fallen apart and there was no way I could actually buy those. But at every step of those, the way there are ways for you to make excuses out of those things mm -hmm. or ways for you to capitalize on those things. Was it as simple as, as from that sort of age, you were just sort of fearful of almost it repeating itself and you ending up as an adult homeless um, or, you know, problems that you obviously both, both your core role models when you're young and at least initially were your, your, obviously your parents and both of them obviously have had a tough time and not in obviously aspirational situations. Yeah. I was afraid that that's what life was, mm. you know, like that's what life was going to be like living paycheck to paycheck or not getting a paycheck and then not having food to eat. I am not going to let this be me. Like I am going to do whatever it takes. Like I'll work as hard as I have to work in order to make sure that I am successful. And for me as a kid, success meant whatever I saw on TV, which was pro athlete, doctor or lawyer. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I didn't like, I don't like blood. So I was never going to do doctor. <laughs> I did play college football for a year before I realized I probably wasn't going to go pro. And then I decided to try to be a lawyer. Um, and that's what kind of led me through um, to the, the end of the tunnel, you know, and, you know, for me right now, like I can sit here and feel successful. Like, sure. Have I reached the pinnacle of anything, everything I want to reach? No, but that goes back to that statement I said before about like just being grateful. Like I am yeah. very, very grateful for what I have right now. And I tell people all the time, I have the best job in the world as an entrepreneur. I get to work with dozens of startups at a time and I get paid to do it. Most entrepreneurs are working on one startup and they're not getting paid at all. <laughs> so <laughs> That's job. reality bomb right there. I love it. Love it. Well, yeah. Jake, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, talking to you today. Thank you so much for sharing so openly. And what is the best way for people to connect if they want to find out more? Yeah. So uh, if you want to connect, go to launchpeer.com. Uh, you can read up about what Launchpeer does. And for the people who are listening to this, I'd love to have you join us at Launchpeer. Go to launchpeer.com slash alpha. Um, and I'd love to work with you and, and see if we can help you turn your idea into a reality too. Awesome. Thanks, Jake. The Awaken Your Alpha podcast. Live limitless. This episode is sponsored by TEDxCelerator. Do you want to do your TEDx talk? If the answer to that is yes in any way, shape or form, or you've always thought that would be a cool thing to do, if you've got any questions, Chris, please do reach out to me. AdamWalkerUK at me.com is my personal email. That will jump straight to me. TED Accelerator enrollment is open three times a year, so please do reach out. We may be just about to start one. We may be in the middle of one. We may be just about to finish one. Main thing is reach out today to secure your spot on the next upcoming TED Accelerator, and there will also be some pre-work for you to do. So it's best time to start taking action on this is today and so we'll get you secured when the next group goes through. Also, if you want this to happen now, 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 there's also ways we can accommodate you in more of a one-to-one -one bespoke manner. All right, speak to you soon.